0: Coming up next on Upstate's HealthLink on Air, an infectious disease expert talks about recovery from the COVID 19 infection. Time
1: to recovery can be anywhere between two to eight weeks, depending on the severity of the disease. So, the more ill you are, the longer you will take to
0: recover. A doctor of family medicine answers questions about the importance of hand washing.
2: It's as simple as washing our hands regularly, appropriately, and often and avoid touching our faces.
0: And an exercise physiologist gives some advice for exercising in isolation.
2: We're sending out emails
3: just encouraging our participants to continue to move, to make your home, you know, your gym or your active area.
0: All that, along with a selection from The Healing Muse, coming up after the news. This is Upstate Medical University's HealthLink on Air, your chance to explore health, science, and medicine with the experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Today, on a special coronavirus themed episode, we'll hear some detailed guidance on the importance of proper hand washing. Then, we'll talk about working out without a fitness center. But first, an infectious disease expert talks about recovery from COVID 19. From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. How is the coronavirus pandemic likely to play out? Today, I'll ask that question of Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatrician who specializes in infectious disease and in public health at Upstate, and she's joining me by telephone. Thank you for making time for HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw.
1: Thank you for having me, Amber.
0: So, how is this pandemic likely to play out if people? follow the rules about staying indoors and limiting the spread, what's going to happen to this virus?
1: Well, you know, we, fortunately, the United States um, have been at the end of the pandemic in terms of um, having the opportunity to learn from other countries, um, such as China and now Europe. Um, So there's no reason to think, that the virus circulation uh, will change its course and that it will behave differently compared to what we have seen in China or in Europe. Um, So it's clear that in the United States, we are at the beginning of uh, the pandemic um, and we are still on the uptick of the epicurve of this virus. You know, unlike China, where the cases appear to be leveling off, Uh, We are just starting to see increases um, throughout the United States.
0: So we can learn from China and their experience because they've gone through this a month ahead of us, a couple months ahead of us?
1: Yeah, so China has reported their first cases of unexplained um, pneumonia in the end of December, actually. And then they started reporting uh, sporadic cases and outbreaks Initially, as you know, in Wuhan, and um, then the infection spread from there. So, if you think of it about it as the first cases in the end of December, and they have just started leveling off in the beginning of March, that gives us a, a sense of uh, the timeline for this epidemic, and um, and what one can expect um, uh, here in the United States. Um, of course, the timeline changes uh, with implementation of social distancing. Um, China was very aggressive, so uh, even with the aggressive measures they put in place, they still took at least, you know, two and a half, three months to start leveling off.
0: So the idea with the social distancing and with so many people staying home from work, working from home, um not congregating in groups of people, is that uh, it, it's it's designed to like stop the spread? But is that because people might be infected and not know it? Is is yes. that what protects the community from if I'm infected and I don't know it, but I stay away, I'm not going to infect other people?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's actually to to, to protect the um, spread of the infection from both uh, people who are infected and don't know it, because we know. This virus is particularly challenging because a large proportion of people are what we call asymptomatically infected, meaning they carry the virus, they don't know about it, and um, during close contact, they will transmit it to others. And then another group of people who will develop mild disease, they may think of it as simple cold. You know, they won't think much about it. And again, during close contact, they can uh, infect um, the loved one's uh, friends and family. So yes, yeah, so the social distancing is a key to mitigate the transmission of this virus in a community. Um, we currently have no other effective measures to stop the virus from circulating, but to remove those susceptibles from the community, which is all of us. We are all susceptible to this virus since it's new.
0: Now, uh, as we're all practicing social distancing, there are scientists who are working furiously on developing a vaccine. Are we going to, is that going to be the the way to solve this pandemic? Are we going to need that vaccine in order to end this? Or how do you see this playing out?
1: So,
0: uh Yeah, so
1: currently there are several companies that are developing vaccine, and one of them, um, at least I'm aware of, Moderna, has entered a phase one clinical trial. Um, So the vaccine development is really important. However, it's unlikely that we will benefit from it during this this pandemic. Um, And that's because vaccine development takes a long time in general, you know, it takes several years to uh, develop a vaccine, and the COVID vaccines are projected to maybe be available in 12 to 18 months. By then, it's quite likely the whole planet has been infected, population will be immune, and it will be unlikely uh, that the vaccine will be needed to stop this pandemic. However, if this virus continues to circulate and as new cohorts, um, you know, young people will enter, Um, uh, the world population, uh, they may benefit from from the vaccine or if we have outbreaks of disinfection happening in the future.
0: Now, I've heard some people compare this to the Spanish flu um, pandemic, I guess, from 1918. Do you see similarities with that? So what's similar to Spanish flu and COVID-19
1: pandemic is um, the with it, with, um, the, the way it's spread throughout uh, the globe um, and um, the fact that, um, you know, during Spanish flu and during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are all susceptible. Since this is a novel uh, virus, uh, we do not have a pre-existing immunity to it. Um, <clears throat> however, there are some um, distinct differences Um uh, that COVID-19, a uh, large proportion of people uh, are asymptomatic or mildly infected, and therefore they can transmit this infection very effectively. Um, the death rate, um, or the, I should say, in the you know case fatality rate for this virus appears to be greater than it was for Spanish flu. Um, but we also don't know whether COVID-19 will have this sort of bimodal distribution. With Spanish flu we saw a spring wave of, of cases and then again later in fall and that peak of um, cases was a lot even greater than spring. So what we don't know with COVID-19 pandemic whether there's going to be a comeback um, um, in, a, in the near future.
0: This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatric infectious disease expert at Upstate, and we are, of course, talking about COVID-19. That's the name of the disease uh, that the coronavirus um, causes. So, Dr. Shaw, can you describe what does the coronavirus do to the lungs? Because this is a respiratory disease, correct?
1: Yes, uh, it is primarily respiratory disease. It um, enters um, to our bodies, through our noses, or we can inhale it through our mouth. It's an infection that will infect your upper respiratory tract and then progresses uh, into infection of your lo- lower respiratory tract. So it initially starts with mild symptoms. Um, if you develop symptoms, you'll have mild symptoms, fever, cough, you know, headache. You may feel achy. It can actually look just like flu. And uh, when it progresses, it um, will go on developing, you know, people will develop shortness of breath, cough, um, and those are usually symptoms that will bring them to the hospital. Um, People who get sick with it usually develop pneumonia and what we call um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Essentially, they will be short of oxygen and will require... Uh, Intensive care unit and intubation
0: to help them breathe. So, the percentage though of people that end up with a severe case where they need hospitalization, that's considered to be pretty small, right? We've heard like. Yeah, the current. mm -hmm. I I think I've heard that up to 80% of people who become infected um, will have like a milder case that they can, you know, have stay at home and recover at home.
1: Yes. Majority of those who are infected um, have, again, either no symptoms or have mild symptoms, some symptoms, cold and cough. Um, Some of the estimates, you know, depending on a study that you read is 20 to 60% of people may have actually asymptomatic and mild disease. It's really only the small proportion of people and people who are at high risk for severe disease with COVID-19 will end up in the hospital.
0: So how long does recovery take? If you're one of the people that uh, has sort of a milder version of this, um, how long does recovery take? And will you start feeling better, or are you going to feel cruddy for a long period of time?
1: <laughs> so that's an excellent question, Amber. Um, be, uh, and I, I have answers only for a part of your question. We really don't know for those mild and asymptomatic um, patients, how quickly they recover, because we typically don't see them, right? So we would not catch those people who have no symptoms or have mild because they will not be seeking medical care. However, we know more about those who will become ill and require hospitalization. And we learn from China that, you know, the time to recovery can be anywhere between two to eight weeks, depending on the severity of the disease. So the more ill you are, the longer you will take to recover.
0: Do we know whether a person who's had this and recovered from it is immune from getting it again? So we don't know the answer
1: to that question yet. However, essays are being developed to measure immune responses to this infection, and we are hoping to learn more from those studies um, to be able to determine whether people acquire lifelong immunity to this virus, or it will be immunity that will maybe be seasonal. Um, So there is more to be learned on this topic.
0: And there's other diseases that we do that for, right, where you can be tested to see if you have the antibodies for a particular thing to know whether you're immune or not.
1: Yes, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of experience with measuring immunity to a variety of infectious agents. Uh, One good example is uh, measles, for example. We know that um, wild infection or immunizations will provide lifelong protection. Um, Chickenpox, for example, is another example. So, yes, there are numerous infections where we know that once you're infected, you're uh, you're likely protected for life. But then there are other infections where that doesn't happen. Uh, And Lyme disease, for example, um, um, comes to mind. You know, we know that if, even if you have Lyme disease, you can get reinfected in the future.
0: Well, let me bring you back to the person who is um, ill with this at their home. There's no currently no bona fide treatment for this, so can you give some advice for someone in terms of what can they do or take to help them feel better uh, while they're recovering at home?
1: Uh, since we don't have any specific treatments, antivirals, um, Supportive care is really the only option for people who come down with this infection. So, taking it easy, taking plenty of rest, um, drinking fluids, you know, honey, um, vitamin C, all those sort of uh, measures that we would use for um, treatment of colds and uh, mild respiratory tract infections apply to this infection as well. One thing that uh, probably is really important for COVID-19 is that people, if they can, that they socially distance from their loved ones at home. You know, we know that majority of those cases that are identified actually come from household contacts. So if possible at all, if, um, infected person can use separate bathrooms, you know, exercise, uh, diligent hand hygiene, cover your cough, um you know, and stay away from your loved ones. Um, it's key uh, to protect not only yourself but protect the ones around you.
0: Now, in China, they built uh, hospitals and put the people that had sort of mild cases in those hospitals, right? They isolated them from their families by bringing them, you know, together in a like a dorm-style kind of hospital. But we really don't yeah. have that set up here for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't have that um, option, unfortunately. China has gone to extreme measures to try to identify and um, isolate those with with COVID-19. And um, you brought up a good example of their effort.
0: Now, let me ask you about pain relievers like Tylenol, aspirin, um, ibuprofen. Are those safe to take uh, if if you're feeling bad and you've got this? So um, as far as we
1: know, um, uh, those should be safe to use. Um, I have not seen any specific articles that would address concerns about any one of those um, for treatment of fever in patients who have COVID-19. So um, unless new information emerges, I would say they, um, they could be used uh, so patients can feel better.
0: And are any of the sort of the antiviral or... Um, there's like zinc products, airborne, those types of things that are sold um, to sort of help people boost their immune systems, I guess. Do do those work or do they help?
1: Um, so there's no evidence that any of those um, that you mentioned will help. And my concern always is that using off-label medications or over-the-counter products is uh, potential side effects or damage and harm. So I strongly discourage use of those um, uh, supplemental, um, um, you know, medications. Um, so I would resort uh, myself and what I, I advise my family is, uh, you know, supportive care, uh, the antipyretics to make us feel better and, and rest and uh, warm liquids with honey and um, let it ride its course. And if you do get sicker, you know, if during that illness you start developing shortness of breath or it's hard to breathe, or you breathe fast or cough worsens, that's the time when you need to call your health care provider and seek additional advice.
0: Well, thank you so much to Dr. Yana Shaw, pediatrician at Upstate who specializes in infectious diseases and public health. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air. Coming up next on Upstate's HealthLink on Air, are you sure you're washing your hands properly? From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. We've heard about the need for thorough hand-washing during the pandemic, and today I'm talking with an expert about exactly how to accomplish this. With me by telephone is Dr. Jared Bagatell. He's a doctor of family medicine and the medical director for employee health at Upstate. Thank you for making time for HealthLink on air, Dr. Bagatell.
2: Yeah, thanks, Amber. Thanks for having me back again.
0: So hand-washing, um, does it matter what kind of soap I use? <laughs>
2: That's a, you always ask great questions. Um, <laughs> soap is uh, washing hands is the most important thing that anybody can do to protect themselves and their family uh, as well as the community. So uh, the type of soap you use is uh, you've got liquid soap and you've got bar soap. And I'm sure there are other types of soaps that I'm not uh, thinking about right now. Um, But if you're looking at comparing soaps, liquid soap is, is the best way to go. It comes out of a pump. You've got your liquid soap. You get the water going for a little bit. You get your hands nice and wet, and you get a good suds going with a good scrub for at least 20 seconds, and then make sure that you turn the water faucet off with a paper towel, something other than the clean hands that you just you just worked on getting clean. Uh, if you were, as an alternative, to be using bar soap, which is certainly appropriate with a 20-second scrub and appropriate faucet turn-off, um, the concern is that. Uh, germs like to sit in things that are wet at times. They like moist and wet environments. So a bar soap that has been sitting around a little bit um, may not be as uh, as effective as the uh, liquid pump soap that you're using, but certainly it is effective. The important thing is you're washing with soap for 20 seconds at least and that you are completely drying your hands appropriately uh, with attention to not reinfect those hands that, that you just washed. Now,
0: some of the soaps that you see on the market have a lot of perfume or scents in them. Does that matter? Does that change the quality of the soap or the ability of the soap to clean you?
2: That's a, that's a good question. And as long as it is uh, appropriate hand-washing soap, uh, I'm not aware other than it's smelling fragrant and nice, that it would have any other impact on the effectiveness of the soap itself.
0: Now, how hard do I need to scrub? And do I need to scrub using um, a sponge or is it just supposed to be my two hands?
2: (laughs) That's a a great question. I'm assuming you're not a surgeon uh, scrubbing up, so to speak, getting ready uh, to perform surgery. Um, Using uh, soap and aggressively washing your hands together, making sure that you cover all surfaces uh, as importantly, our thumbs that are often used on our personal communication devices. Um, a good thorough scrub with your hands. There is no need to use any other uh, device to, to scrub your skin down with. Uh, that may also potentially introduce another uh, potentially contaminated uh, product. But your hands will do fine. Just scrub them up good together. Make sure you do the best to scrub under your nails in the palm of your hand and give it a really good aggressive scrubbing with lots of bubbles and lots of good time on all surfaces and each individual finger now
0: you said um to spend like twenty second 20 20 seconds doing this as yeah. long as it takes to sing happy birthday or some other you could come up with some other song that's 20 but what's the magic about 20 seconds And it seems longer, like if you actually do it, I mean, most of us probably are not usually washing our hands for that long, because when you sit there and time it, it goes on forever.
2: It does seem to. Uh, So you find a a song that you don't mind singing for those 20 seconds and make sure you got it covered. Um, I recently have actually been uh, resorting to the one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And at this current time, it's actually allowed me an opportunity to pause and while I'm saying Mississippi's in my head, I'm taking slow, deep breaths to allow myself to, to reset and actually look, look forward to that opportunity to pause and wash my hand and, and be mindful of the so moment.
0: So you're multitasking, getting your mindfulness, kind of taking a breath, stepping well back. Well oh, That's wonderful. how
2: I am using my uh, 20 seconds that I am occasionally afforded.
0: That's a good point. Now tell me, when do we need to wash our hands
2: well, it is important to wash your hands uh, any time that you have been in contact with, uh, with really any, any environment. Um, it's helpful to consider doing so before you leave your, hou- your house. So before you leave to get going in the morning, that's a great opportunity to wash your hands. Um, you want to make sure that when you get to work, uh, after you've traveled and touched several other things and route, uh, that's another opportunity to, to wash your hands. Uh, you likely have touched germs that might have been on inanimate objects like doorknobs and elevator buttons or in big cities, subways or or handrails um, before and after you are working on preparing food, okay. after you cleaned up your house, certainly after you blow your nose or, or sneezed into your hand and... And it goes without saying, um, after you use the bathroom.
0: Now, during this time when so many people are sheltering in place, um, if you you have to go out for provisions and go to the grocery store or something, you need to wash your hands when you come home to make sure that you're getting rid of whatever germs you might have picked up at the store?
2: That is the recommendation. And I am certainly doing that, and I would recommend that our listeners uh, heed that advice as well. Um, The most important thing that we can do, and we have the technology and the capacity to do what we need to do, it's a matter of if we have the will and the diligence to do so, and it's as simple as washing our hands. It's as simple as washing our hands regularly, appropriately, and often, and avoid touching our faces.
0: You're listening to Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Jared Bagatelle. He's a doctor of family medicine at Upstate and he oversees employee health at Upstate. Do I need to use paper towels to dry my hands after washing them? Is it important to dry my hands afterward?
2: It is important. As I mentioned earlier, germs like to grow often on damp places, uh, damp environments, moist environments. So it is important to uh, thoroughly dry your hands. Now, specifically paper towels versus cloth towels, um, certainly much better than using your T-shirt or the shirt or your pants that you're wearing. You don't want to use those as a ways to dry your hands. Um, but you don't have to necessarily just use paper towels. They are uh, certainly effective because you use them and you can throw them out, but cloth towels are certainly fine for personal use, um, just to make sure that they get washed every every few days or so, uh, especially if m- more than one person is is using the same towel. We want to keep uh, one person per towel as best you can. And if a, a person is sick, they certainly should be using a, a separate towel Um and it's a good idea to have paper towels, if you do have them available, to have them available for any, any guests who might come to visit and stay uh, appropriate distance uh, from you at this time.
0: Will touching the faucet or the bathroom doorknob after I wash my hands really ruin the whole thing? Have yes. I just undone the good? Yes,
2: g- it, it will, Amber. You will likely have undone all of your good efforts and uh, singing skills over those 20 seconds. Uh, it is, when you're talking about uh, toilets and handles and faucets and doorknobs, these are high-touch risk areas. These are are places that people often use and often share their germs. So unfortunately, uh, if you ended up touching one of those after you washed your hands, I'd, I'd suggest you go back, wash your hands, and... Uh, and uh, avoid touching any of those, um, any of those objects, and, and certainly avoid touching your face because uh, that is the the prime reason how a respiratory infections transfer from one person to another is often from us touching our faces after our hands have been in contact with the infection, and that if we, if we can reduce that way of spread, we can significantly impact disease in our communities.
0: Now, with all of this hand washing, my hands are so dry. <laughs> is it okay, or should we start making sure we use lotion, or is that not recommended?
2: Sure. Uh, it, it's okay to use your own personal lotion if that's something that you, you need to use to keep your, your skin uh, intact. Uh, that is absolutely fine to be using your own. Uh, I would be cautious and I would advise against uh, sharing other people's lotion bottles. Um, but if this is your personal personal lotion and you have it in a personal location that you know where it is and who's touched it after you've washed your hands, uh, then, then that would be appropriate.
0: Can I still paint my nails?
2: Oh, something I hadn't thought of personally. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly okay to paint your nails, but it's important that the nails be kept short. So I would be more concerned about really, really long nails at this time that may be more difficult and a challenge to wash under um, because it's so important that the entire hand gets washed. Nails are an important part of those hands. Uh, it is important to keep those nails short and uh, as best you can. Uh, but with short nails, if you want to polish up some short nails, yeah, that that's, that's fine. But be mindful that germs can live in cracked and chipped polish as well. So avoid touching your face and be certain to wash your hands appropriately and frequently, uh, especially during some of the the, uh, the suggestions that we previously talked about.
0: Now, if I'm not near a sink, what's the best technique with the hand sanitizer?
2: Sure. Uh, most of us uh, during our days are not near sinks. It's, it's best to, to wash with soap and water. Um, but alcohol-based hand sanitizers are certainly appropriate uh, and effective. And it's important to make sure that the product you use is at least 60% alcohol, so before you start using the uh, hand sanitizer that you have available, be certain that it is, it is at least 60% alcohol. And when you put it on your hand, you really want to give yourself a good scrub of your hand in the same way that you would do so with, with soap and water. And be sure you've got enough liquid so you've got every surface of your hand covered uh, as possible.
0: Do you need to dry after using the sanitizer or not?
2: Uh, alcohol is really good at drying itself when you're kind of waving around in the air a bit, and as long as there is no uh, residual dampness, uh, it will dry up on its own. I I wouldn't go and touch anything else after we've we've put on the rubbing alcohol, or after we've we've used the. Uh, it the, the, the alcohol uh, uh, hand sanitizer.
0: So this advice with hand washing or hand sanitizing, it seems so simplistic, but yet it's being stressed as so important during this pandemic. Are, are we really making that big of an impact by washing our hands?
2: Absolutely. We are and we can. People have often asked me, Amber, am I safe? to go to work, am I safe to go X, Y, or Z? And the response is, you're safe as long as you keep at this time appropriate distance. And we are truly ultimately only as safe as our neighbor or our coworker keeps themselves safe. And it is so important that we attend to our personal hand hygiene and important that those around us be expected to do the same thing. At times of pandemics, it is critical. It is the most important thing that we can do to help mitigate the spread. And if we can do so, and if we can hold off the spike of this disease in our own community for as long as we can possibly do this together, it affords us opportunity over extended time to allow potential vaccines and potential medications to be available to help treat the disease itself. So at this point, more than ever, it is imperative that each and every one of our listeners make a promise to themselves and their families that they will attend to appropriate hand hygiene and avoid touching their faces and share that information with each and every person they can encounter.
0: Well, very good points. Thank you so much to Dr. Jared Bagatelle, a doctor of family medicine and the medical director for employee health at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air. Exercising in isolation, next on Upstate's HealthLink on Air. From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. So many of us are sheltering in place to prevent the community spread of coronavirus and its disrupting exercise routines. I'm speaking with someone today who has some suggestions for how to get by. Dr. Carol Sames is with me by telephone. She's an exercise physiologist and the director of Upstate's Vitality program and an associate professor of physical therapy and physician assistant studies. Thank you for making time for HealthLink, Dr. Sames. Thank you, Amber. Now you and I have talked about the importance of exercise before, um, but let me ask you whether it's still important during a pandemic.
3: Well, I would put forth that it's even more important during a pandemic. And we certainly know that exercise is important anyway, but people are feeling unsettled. Um, we're out of our routine. And so being active is even more important because um, when we tend to be stressed or anxious, we have an increase in cortisol, which is, among other things, is the stress hormone and elevated levels of cortisol are associated with inflammation and cardiovascular disease. And so it's even more important to be flexible but to continue to be active.
0: And some of us that have jobs where we're active in our jobs, if we're not doing those jobs right now, we're not getting like any activity.
3: Right, so. exactly. So, um, you know, it's funny, I looked out my window the other day on Sunday when it was nice and my street was crowded with individuals that were walking and running, and I have not seen them in the twenty seven years I've lived here. And I thought, good for you. this is this is what we want to see, but we really want to encourage people. You may have been in a facility. So the vitality program is currently closed, and um, we're sending out emails just encouraging our participants to continue to move, to you know be be flexible, but Um, Make your home, you know, your gym or your active area.
0: Well, let's briefly review what the fitness standards are. What should people be shooting for?
3: So the ultimate goal um, is 150 minutes a week of what we call moderate activity. And so that's activity where you can still carry on a conversation. Um, We want to do some type of strength training two to three times a week. And then some flexibility-type training. And they're the guidelines. But within those guidelines, if, if we have an individual who really hasn't been very active, any minutes are important. And so we don't want people to say, well, I can't possibly do something for 30 minutes. We say, okay, can you do two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, and let's try to do that multiple times during the day. And voila, you get your minutes in.
0: So let's talk about some ideas, because getting out um, is recommended, um, as long as you're not congregating with groups of people, right. getting out into, and if weather allows, um, doing some outdoor things. What are some more solitary types of activities that someone can do for cardio, just for, you know, getting active? Is, right. is walking kind of the safest thing to start?
3: Walking's fantastic. And, you know, regardless of where you live, you, you might have to do multiple laps if you're indoors, um, but you can get minutes in. And, again, it doesn't have to be in a solid 20- to 30-minute chunk. It can be smaller um, act, pieces of activity. Um, if somebody's able, um, stairs, if you have stairs in your home and you're able to, to use stairs, stairs are actually – quite uh, a good activity. If people don't like to come downstairs because that type of eccentric contraction can be a little more challenging on the knees, you can just take one step and just go, you know, right foot up, left foot up, right foot down, left foot down. And um, it, it's a great way to also get a little bit of quadricep, hamstring, and some glute, gluteus uh, maximus and minimus uh, activity. So there are it might require a little bit of creativity. Some individuals might have some old exercise equipment that has probably made its way to the basement um, that potentially could be used. Maybe there's a stationary bike or something that could be used. So it might require flexibility if you've been a member at, at a Y or, or some type of fitness facility. You're, you're not going to have that type of selection, but, but you have your mind and you have um, flexibility Um there's also a lot of things online. Um, so say, for instance, um, I need to do my exercises in a chair. You can Google chair exercises and get videos or pictures of activities that you can do in a chair. So there is everything out there. A lot of organizations are uh, allowing you free videos of different types of activities. Uh, the other day I went for a walk. And I decided I would talk to my sister at the same time. Of course, she lives in Arizona, and her weather is tremendously better than what we had. But it was kind of fun because um, I'm not usually a walker. I'm usually a runner. And the next thing I knew, 45 minutes had gone by. And, uh, you know, it was fantastic.
0: That works, too. So maybe spread out your furniture in your living room and, and look at what you can find online and do some classes on your own at home
3: certainly is an option and the classes run the gambit from you know more higher intensity to to lower intensity so you know you obviously want to select the activity that that would be appropriate for you Um, and there are so many choices i was actually looking the other day to just see wow can we get the range of activities and there's so much out there
0: is it safe to start a running routine if you haven't been a runner previous to this is it safe to start that
3: at this point you know kind of depending on an individual's past medical medical history, you know, we could say yes or no, but here's what I would say. Just from a musculoskeletal standpoint, if you just go out and run, you're going to have some impressive muscle soreness, which may then prevent you from continuing the idea of running. So what we usually tell people is if you have not run before, start with two minutes walking, one minute running, and alternate that, and then gradually you know, two minutes walking, two minutes running, gradually build up three minutes running, two minutes walking. You get the idea. So don't just go out
0: and try to run as far as you can, but really be methodical about it.
3: It just, you know, running, there's a lot of force involved there. Um, You want to make sure you have the right footwear. You know, I'm not wearing my Chuck Taylors that I wore 30 years ago that have no midsole in them. You know, I don't need to transmit all those forces up through my legs, my extremities. Um, So, you know, the concept is that, you know, sometimes people are like, I want to do this and I want to do it all now. And I didn't get out of shape in a day or a week or a month. It it probably took me time. So I need to get back, but I need to do it slowly so that I continue to be active. Um, I don't want to start something for a week and go, yeah. I'm really sore now. I don't want to continue with that. So, uh, it's really best to just not jump into jogging or running, but to, you know, run walk um, because people tend to be more adherent to a gradual program.
0: You're listening to Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Carol Sames, an exercise physiologist from Upstate. I want to ask you about strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, people knew. To weight lifting. Um, they may start with, you know, the heavy soup cans at home. But for people who are experienced and are used to going to the gym and lifting some weights, that's really not going to cut it. So, what would you suggest for that person?
3: So, there's a lot of fantastic body weight exercises that you can do. Um, so, at...
0: so, body weight would be like push ups where you're using your own body? As... Right,
3: push ups. And, you know, if if you get somebody who's really fairly strong, they might need to do a lot of push-ups, but you could do things like elevated push-ups where you put your legs up on a chair and do push-ups that way. Um, Or one of those round stability balls, Uh, do push-ups on a stability ball where you have an unstable type of surface. And that's really challenging. I mean, that would even be challenging for individuals who are really strong. Um, But for even for people that are just new to strength training, you could do push-ups off the wall. Um, uh, you know, but you can also do lunges, which are fantastic. You know, I want to go through a uh, an appropriate range of motion for my knees and hips, but but they're wonderful. Um, I can do calf raises where I just go up on my toes and back down to you know kind of work on my lower leg. There's there's really a lot of things that you can you do that don't require the use of equipment um, or minimal equipment, like a stability ball or an exercise band. You know, they're very inexpensive, and um, you can get a lot of good activities from bands.
0: What about um, flexibility training? Because that's one of the other guidelines, right, to get some right. flexibility work?
3: So flexibility, honestly, between a wall and a chair, <laughs> again, um, or standing, you, you can work major muscle groups and work on flexibility and, and not need anything. Um, uh, you know, I, I usually tell individuals as we get older, one of the areas where we lose flexibility is in the ankle and then the other is in the cervical, the neck area. And so I've even started doing this, uh, if I'm watching regular television, and there's commercials to do um, the alphabet with, you know, outline the alphabet with your um ankles with your feet, you know, draw a capital A, B, C. And um, if you really want to make it challenging from a motor coordination standpoint, try doing both feet at the same time. And that's great flexibility, Um, working on ankle, which we tend to lose our flexibility of the ankle and that impacts our walking. And then with neck, I will, you know, just again, through my pain-free range of motion, look from one side to the other, put my chin down to chest, ear to shoulder, just to kind of work on that cervical flexibility, you know, which is greatly needed when you're, when we finally are able to return to the grocery store and you're trying to back out of a spot, you know, you need to kind of be able to turn around and see.
0: Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, if you're a person who's been quarantined at home because you have a positive coronavirus test, but, and you're, and you, you know, you're feeling sick, but you're not that sick that you need to be hospitalized, you know, you've got you know, uh, fever and um, cough, but you know you're safe to be at home. Is it okay to exercise or or not?
3: So you you want to continue to move around, um, kind of depending on where that fever would be, uh, and, and you know if a fever starts to get usually over a hundred in adults, you're probably not feeling really great. Um, but you know if you have symptoms and it's and you really don't have much of a fever, it's just good to move. Um, you know, if, if not anything else, just from simply blood flow. Um, and when you sit for long periods of time, when you stand, that's tough on the lower back. Um, it's just, it's, it's tough on core and, and hamstrings and it, it makes the hip flexors weaker when we're not using them. So just to, to get up and move, you know, I think sometimes we get individuals who haven't been active and you don't even have to talk about walking outside you can say listen you know now might be a good time to start to think about maybe some spring cleaning so i'm going to organize a closet or i'm going to organize some drawers or something along those lines where i'm kind of having to get up and moving around and organizing things that can be activity especially for somebody who hasn't been doing much um
0: and that might help you feel better too rather than just laying still all day
3: it it absolutely will we we know that If you're just not doing anything, um, it it tends to be, you know, um, depressing to just be sitting all day. And then when you go to stand up, it's like being in a car ride for a couple of hours. You get out of the car and you're like, "Oh my goodness, I'm struggling here to walk." Um, So we want to encourage people to be active. I think is probably a good term. And um, you know, eventually it's going to get a little nicer out. The snow's going to melt and. That might then bring on some yard work or, you know, some, some spring cleaning. I personally just started working on some closets that had been long ignored. Um, and it was actually more activity than I had anticipated because I seemed to have accumulated more junk than I realized.
0: <laughs> well, good advice. Thank you so much to Dr. Carol Sames. She's an exercise physiologist and the Vitality Program Director at Upstate, where she's also Associate Professor of Physical Therapy and Physician Assistant Studies. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air. And now, Deirdre Nealon, editor of Upstate Medical University's literary and visual arts journal, The Healing Muse. With this week's selection,
4: flowers are a source of inspiration for poets such as Carol Alexander and Mary Gardner. Alexander's latest book, Environments, is from Dos Madres Press and is a collection of her most recent poetry. Her poem, Immortality, presents a world composed of illness, disability, love, relationship, and nature, taking us from sadness to rage to joy in two short stanzas immortality. From the Carmen chair wheeled to lunch, you press the bearded iris on me. The therapy dog is well-conformed, keen-nosed, yet biddable. To walk to the creek? Impossible. Impossible the cellar stairs, mounds of laundry, dust my spiral notebooks, the pointless lone ice skate. Your still deft hands grasp a glass of tea. I'm here, as if I'll always be stronger than that justifiable rage fed from a dish of cracked pink salt. The bearded iris goes by immortality. Bred to charm the meanest eye, why iris in these indrawn days? It clings like the ancient chestnut tree menacing the low garage, an incestuous tree, but the iris tethered to its little patch of soil, sword-shaped, anthers flirting to re-bloom. A bashed sun filters through chestnut leaves, loquacious roots banked stubbornly. A skunk slinks past the drains. Your nurse rolls down her stockings, texts, smokes an unfiltered cigarette. Doesn't everything grow rich? The burrs that cling to the dog's rough fur, indentured for dispersal, dissuading deer, yet untouched by blight, the lustrous lemon air. Mary Gardner, poet from a Skinny Atlas, shows us poetry's concision and compression in her deft poem, Small Promise, which is a glorious word painting of breakfast. Small Promise. Even a rugged day ahead can be acceptable if anticipated by a red nasturtium, freshly cut and secure on a slender sea green stem Resting upright on a plate of scrambled eggs and avocado.
0: This has been Upstate's Health Link on Air. Brought to you each week by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. If you missed any of today's show or to hear health podcasts on various topics, visit our website at healthlinkonair.org or do a podcast search for the phrase Health Link on Air. I'm Amber Smith thanking you for listening.